Welcome to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Tuine. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast. This is still the Say No to PPOs series. We're going on, what, three or four years on that series because it's a hot topic. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My name is Ben Tuine. Today I'm going to be the solo host. Uh, Jordan Comstock has been excused uh, due to other business matters. Well, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, it's June here in Utah and we were, we're experiencing record heat. Um, kind of a fun time to be out there, you know, post, uh, well, if we're still in a pandemic, but for us here it kind of feels post-pandemic. Uh, my son won his uh, um, uh, semi-playoff game yesterday and they're in the championship game on Thursday <laughs> with baseball, so we're excited about that. It was 105 degrees and uh, I got beamed in the chin uh, during practice uh, with one of the baseballs that was going 40 miles per hour. <laughs> And during the game, I don't know if this was karma or not, but the kid that being me got beamed in the head. Uh, but we had four <laughs> kids hit in the head. Uh, and it's not intentional. You know, this is, this is uh, uh, third grade, fourth grade baseball. And so naturally the kids are just developing those skills. But that's what's going on on this side of the world. You know, we, we'd be uh, very interested to hear what's going on on your side of the world for any of you that do want to chat with us uh, on Facebook or, or email. So if you need somebody to talk to, if you're stressed, whatever it may be, we're here. Um, today, we have a wonderful guest. Uh, Teresa Shepard has, uh, uh, I've known her for a couple of months now. Jordan's known her longer. Um, but, you know, Teresa is, she emailed me um, the topics that she is interested in. And I thought, wow, this is such a fascinating um, area of dentistry that we don't talk about a whole lot, you know, in uh, risk management, oral systemic link. Yes, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. But the risk management component that I really want to dive in today is something that's going to be fun for us to, to kind of uh, delve into. But before that, folks, I want to introduce you to Teresa Shepard. Teresa, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've been looking forward to this. And, um, you know, there's so many questions that I have surrounding risk management, and, <laughs> you know, that topic and area that you're, you're an expert in. Uh, but if you don't mind, I would love to go through your background just to kind of uh, 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 let our listeners know who you are, how you got started in dentistry, and what you're doing today, and so forth. You mind? You mind just sharing a few things with us? Sure. Um, yeah. I well, I've been in dentistry now, and I hate to say this because my age is hanging out. I have been in dentistry about um, coming on forty years. Wow, you sound so much younger. <laughs> I, uh, thank you. Good answer. I um, <laughs> I I went right out of high school uh, into dental assisting school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted the quickest school I could find because I was not a fan of school and my parents were pushing me to go to college. So that's what I picked. And I just fell in love from day one and I've been in it ever since. Awesome. And so, um, yeah, yay, mom. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, what, what I do is I started off as a registered dental assistant. I chair-sided for about 10 years and then uh, moved into administration managed dental practice, one particular, for about 23 years, and then a couple here and there. I wrote some curriculum and taught a dental assisting school. I'm a California radiation safety course and CE provider. 
let's see, what else do I do? Oh, I um, have a teledentistry company where we see patients in, in their environment. We're able to go into homes and nursing homes and assisted livings and things like that and, and utilize uh, teledentistry to be able to treat patients without access to care. I'm a founding member of the local uh, Holistic Chamber of Commerce, but one of the biggest thing I'm just the most humbled and honored for is I was recently invited to be um, on the advisory board of Stanford um, VA Brain Health Citizen Scientist Advisory Board. Wow. So I'm so honored to, to do that. Veterans awesome. are near and dear to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're... You sound like you have... So a, I'm a little busy. Yeah, 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 you're busy. Lots of experience, lots of great accomplishments. And I imagine that you probably know everybody, every, well, every known person in the industry, you probably have affiliated with at one point or another, um, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Belong to a couple different organizations um, for speakers and consultants, and so many, many wonderful friends throughout the years. Excellent, excellent. Well, that, you know, the, your experience alone is intriguing. You know, you've, you've done so many things in dentistry. And, you know, when you, when you speak about this topic of risk management, you probably know best, you know, in terms of <laughs> how that works. Because you, you, you've been through so many, in so many practices and your training curriculums and so forth. That I was kind of wondering, how did you, how, how did you generate an interest in this whole area of risk management? You know, it wasn't something I woke up one morning and said, oh, I'm going to learn this. But when I, when I chair-sided for all those years, I worked for a doctor that was extremely, I think, looking back on it, uh, very much ahead of his time. Um, he was very proactive in training his team. He was very much on top of education. I mean, we just didn't learn the what, we learned the why. Right. And so I really enjoyed and learned so much from him. And then when I transitioned into this, other dental practice, I actually just took over billing insurance for a gal that was going on maternity leave. And when I say billing, I mean typing claim forms one by one on a typewriter. Oh, wow. <laughs> I haven't heard typewriter in a long time. <laughs> yeah, like I said, my age is hanging out. So um, I typed each and every claim form. But I noticed that... Um, you know, things just weren't done the same way. And I didn't realize that offices weren't all the same at that point. And so, you know, uh, previously we were booked out, you know, three, four months in advance, very comprehensive perio program and things like that. And this doctor was not, and like three, four days in advance. And I just had questions. So I went and I asked him, um, you know, I said, I really think that, you know, you might be kind of like losing some money and, <laughs> um, you know, can we, you know, would it be okay? He belonged to all kinds of different capitation programs and PPOs and things like that. I said, would it be all right if I took all these manuals home over the weekend and looked through them and just kind of figured out what we can do and what we can't do. I mean, my theory is you can play any game as long as you know the rules. Yeah. So I wanted to know the rules to make sure that he wasn't losing money, which he was. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. And in, in reading through here, it's like, oh, you can do this. You can do that. This is the things that we get on. It's just an evolution over the years. Right. And 
I ended up being office manager. We went from two operatories um, to five with two full-time hygienists. And obviously it was an evolution of years. Got rid of the capitations, you know, and I'm not a dentist. I can't diagnose. Only the dentist can diagnose and treatment plan. But a good office manager or a good insurance administrator is such an asset because they really get down to the nitty gritty of the patient's plan. And they can really be a partner with the doctor because they strategize on how best to use the patient's benefits. You know, we, we get caught up in this, oh, they've only got $1,500 max, which also hasn't changed in 100 years. Mm-hmm. But they've sure. got this, you know, $1,500 max or this $2,000 max. And we just, we, we're looking at dollars. Oh, how close are they are to maxing mm-hmm. rather than putting together a game plan and a strategy of how we can best use their dollars. And maybe there's some alternatives. You know, I really got to learn a lot about the codes that we can use and what our options are. You know, can we maybe uh, put a provisional on this tooth if it's not the worst thing going on and and work on something that's going to explode before next January when their max rolls back around? Right. Yeah, so there's lots of... So much um, just evolved over the years, and I just found it fascinating, and I love perio, and so that all kind of tied into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that, uh, you know, the risk management component, um, you see different things. Like, so I've, I've been in dentistry for, well, I'm terrible at math, but since 2007. Um, oh, you're just so a baby. I'm, yeah, I'm just a baby. <laughs> I only know the current issues. I don't know what, what went on in the 90s and the 80s in terms of, um, you know, mm-hmm. my world of dealing with dental insurance. But in my reading of um, history as it pertains to insurance and related matters in dentistry, it kind of seems like, you know, when dental insurance was developed back in, what, the, the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. um, the fee-for-service mentality still remained up until what maybe the 90s and and uh 2000 is is when things started to shift in a different direction you know in terms of you know back then it seemed like in my readings that um you know for the most part when when people look when when dentists look at treatment um it was treatment based upon the need and then all of a sudden in the 2000s it was treatment based upon coverage what what is right. your t- what is your take on that and how things and why do you think things have shifted in that direction so much well i, I mean i can't, i can't really speak for like on a national level per se but in the area that i live in i live in a small rural area but there's a couple of big cities close to us and when i first started you know there were maybe 25, 30 doctors, everybody knew each other, all the team members knew each other, you know, it it was a a smaller network, and as time evolved, and bigger corporations kind of took over, and things like that, I think that the patient pool, if you will, um, kind of went down, and was stretched a little thinner, so doctors had to become kind of more creative, Mm -hmm and how they were going to uh, attract and keep patients. And unless you were in network, and we have some big, I mean, we have Gallo Winery just 15 miles from me. So we have some big corporations here in this area. And, 
you know, they have good benefits for their employees, but it's Delta Dental. And if you're not a Delta Dental provider, you know, there's potentially a, a, a large patient base that you could, could lose. Mm-hmm. But so what, that's kind of what I found out. And doctors had to sort of change their, their thinking, not all, but most did, that they really felt that they had to become preferred providers for everything under the sun. Right, right. But it, if they really looked at it, and this is what, I'm, what I try to really impress, is balancing this risk management issue with this oral systemic link issue mm-hmm. is that if you provide the services that the patient truly needs in terms of treating their condition, not their benefit plan, but their condition, mm-hmm. the money follows easily. Right. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. I, I, from my experience, what I find is that patients will react to whatever you tell them, you know, and, and a lot of times, a lot of times this whole idea behind, well, the patients aren't going to proceed with treatment unless it's covered or unless it's, you know, goes around their benefits. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perception that we pushed on, uh, on the patient base, you know, and yeah. it's unnecessary, you know, because what you find is that um, a lot of dentists, uh, well, when I, when I review utilization patterns for our clients, um, sometimes I see, um, you know, for Cigna, the dentist will primarily only do 2752 crowns. And then for Aetna, it'll be 2750, you know, and, and then for right. other plans, it's 2740. And then I ask, is it, why is there such a difference? I mean, is there, is there a crown of choice that you use in general or is it per insurance plan? They say, well, it's per insurance plan. Simply because, you know, if it gets downgraded, then, you know, um, we, we, we usually do whatever the downgrade code is. And I find that very interesting because, you know, PFMs in these days, you know, there's uh, a lot of individ- uh, patients that do have allergies, you know, to certain metals mm-hmm. um, and things like that, that I would want to know, you know, what's, you know, what the risks are. And, you know, in the end, me as a patient, just the way with I, the, the way I think is I, I, I don't really care what insurance covers. I just want, I want, I want what you think is best for me, you know, and, and then we'll deal exactly. with it from there, you know, and I think that's the direction that a lot of people, a lot of people in dentistry fail to understand is that a lot of, you know, they're, they're trusted already. You know, I think dentists are, have always been rated in, in, in the fifth most trusted, at least one to five, you know, in that category. And then hygienists, uh, they don't have a category for hygienists in this polling data. But um, when you look at the closest profession to a, a hygienist, it's a nurse, you know. And in fact, mm-hmm. that's what they've done recently in this, this polling is they've clumped hygienists uh, uh, together with nurses. And mm-hmm. that's the number one most trusted profession, you know. And scrubs are the number one most uh, relieving and trusted form of business attire. And so naturally, when you look at it from that perspective, I think a lot of people, we, we fear that they're going to haggle based upon price and cost. But in the end, we don't trust ourselves enough to be able to trust our own recommendations that, you know, if we use insurance as a secondary form of, you know, this is, this is going to be a payment assistance, it's not going to dictate treatment. Um, from my experience, I see massive change in terms of, you know, revenue and overall client uh, um, you know, customer service aspect of a dental practice, uh, you know, because the focus is in insurance, you know, but I, right, I wanna, exactly. Yeah. I, I want to kind of dive into your, your, your relate, your correlation between risk management and oral systemic link. Can you talk about a few different areas? Well, let's back up. Like when you visit a practice 
and you do, I'm, I'm assuming you do an assessment on risk management first. Is that right? Yes. Um, you know, that it's, it's kind of like I view what I do as the way a doctor would treat a patient. So, you know, you can't diagnose without diagnostics and you can't do diagnostics until you do triage. So I have a standalone program that I use and it's called snapshots prevent mug shots. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it goes along with my CE program, which is called how many felonies did you commit today? <laughs> but the snapshots commit uh, Snapshots Prevent Mugshots is basically, it's my triage and diagnostics. So what, what happens with that is um, it's a virtual program, and I go into the practice software, and I do this outside of practice hours. I need a dedicated computer to do this assessment, so I'm not disrupting anybody's workflow. I work evenings, I work weekends, I work around the doctor's schedule. And so... What I'll do is I'll go in and I basically just start going down rabbit holes. I'll kind of um, randomly pick a day on the schedule and start with the 8 o'clock patient and open that up and see what I see. And often it's not what I see, it's what I don't see that also concerns me. Um, so, you know, I look at documentation, I look at um, diagnostics, I look at treatment plans. I teach HIPAA as well, so I kind of tie in even though I'm not looking for HIPAA violations necessarily, if I see a documentation that says, oh, you know, grandma called and asked about such and such, the, then I flip over and want to look at the HIPAA release. Well, we don't have one. You know, so I, there's a lot of different things that I look at with that. And the, one of the biggest things that I find that puts the practice and the doctor's license at risk the most is supervised neglect. And, and really, when it comes down to it, is negligence. And these doctors are not being neglectful or negligent, you know, on purpose. That's not their intent. Mm -hmm. That and insurance fraud. And insurance fraud is a felony. And they're committing it every day, all day. They just don't know it. Because, like I said, it's not intentional. But yeah, what but happened? Yeah, I was just going to say, too, then, you know, along with that, process, I not only find things that put the practice at risk, I'm typically finding somewhere between two and then $10,000 a month in lost revenue. And sometimes it's as high as 40,000 a month in lost revenue. Wow. Just, and you're already doing the work basically. Right. Or right. if you were to just, you know, use the proper code for what you wrote down that you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the money follows if you're doing things correctly. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to I want to uh, elaborate a little bit on a couple of things that you mentioned. So you you talked about supervised neglect mm -hmm. and uh, insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. Can you can you share with our listeners what you're seeing in terms of the violations as it pertains to super supervised neglect? Well, let's start there and then let's go into coding fraud. What are the common things that you see going on in those two particular areas? Okay. Yeah. Well, basically, it's the same area. Um, the biggest thing is perio. Yeah. We are profing, doing bloody profies on our perio patients um, because the patient doesn't want to pay for the deep, quote-unquote, cleaning 
I, I really can't stand that phrase. We should abolish that phrase from our vocabulary. And the reason for that is, <clears throat> pardon me, allergies are bad today. The reason for that is because, in my opinion and my experience, it confuses the patient. Well, wait, why should I pay for a deep cleaning when my cleanings are free? Right. So if we use the and cleanings really, to me, sound industrial somehow. You know, they are what they are, but, you know, if we can call it by its term a prophylaxis or, you know, a scaling and quality, you know, however we need to do to make the patient understand that this is a procedure, mm -hmm. not something that's just a term that we use, right. and explain and really educate, because this is where the supervised neglect comes in, is we're not treating our perio patients. Perio disease is a disease. It, you know, it contributes and correlates to serious life-threatening diseases, cardiac disease, diabetic, strokes. And we're not looking at the health history as at, with the eyes of an oral physician, which is what doctors are. And I really impress upon them and implore them to view themselves as oral physicians. There are, so, there are some that do, and there are some that really, especially if they're caught up in the insurance world and, and trying to deal with managed care and PPOs and all these things are just, it's quantity, not quality necessarily, um, that drives them to that. And they, they kind of get put in the category and the mindset that they're just a dentist and that their teeth, you know, they're working on teeth and that has nothing else to do with the rest of the body. And, and it, it, it hurts my heart to see them get into that mindset because they're educated and they're oral physicians, but we kind of get into this trap, you know, and, and our patients tend to feel, oh, it's just a dentist. It's just my teeth. It's just my cleaning appointment. So it's okay if I short notice canceled. So we shouldn't use the word just, and we shouldn't use the word deep cleaning because it does confuse the patients. But right. that's really the biggest area is the patient doesn't want to pay for the root planing. So we'll go ahead and do this bloody profi and then tell them, well, you know, we're going to give you three months to get this under control. And if it's still bloody next time, we're going to do a deep cleaning, but you never do. Right, right. You know, we're right. still doing the bloody profies, and yeah. that's we're letting patients dictate treatment. Yeah, that's very interesting um, because you know you try to get to the root of this problem of the periodontal supervised neglect. Is it communication? Is it fear? You know, of offending the patient. Um, and I, I kind of see it, you know, across the board in terms of different concerns on as to why we allow. Um, patients to get these bloody profies. What do you think the root of the problem is on supervised neglect area areas where we know better? We know that we should, or maybe we don't. You know, maybe maybe practices mm -hmm. and individuals mm -hmm. don't. You know, wh what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of split. Is you know, when I teach oral systemic link or I teach risk management or I do these assessments. Um, I think a lot of people have this general awareness, and they were taught to some degree, but it's not consistently impressed upon them. The link 
between now what we know as, as these serious deadly periopathogens, you know, causing or contributing to so many other things. And we think of disease as kind of an older person's problem. Oh, if you've got a cardiac problem, you know, you're an older person. But there's other things that affect younger people. You know, we now know some of these periopathogens can contribute to uh, women going into early labor, and so they're having early babies. And, you know, babies that are born premature, they can have issues as well. So, you know, we're not thinking about it in terms of a person's health. So what I find most often, I think, it really is the lack of sitting down and educating our patients. It's not that we don't tell them, but there's a difference between telling and educating. Right. And I and in I don't like for myself anyway, I've always kind of found it better not to do the consultation sitting at the chair the minute they come in a patient comes in. Mm-hmm. You don't really have time to treatment plan and use that strategy. Uh, if you know they're a perio patient, get them back for their root plannings, explain that, and do the full consultation at that time. Um, there, there's many ways to do it. I, I, I never say there's only one way to do a consultation or one way to do things. There's many ways. Everybody's different. Every office flow is different. But the end result has to be the same. It's like if I'm driving from here to San Francisco, I can go 16 different ways, but I'm going to end up in San Francisco. Right. So there's, not, there's never one way. But the standard of care has to be kept, or we do lose our credibility. So I think a lot of it is education. Education is different than telling. And I don't even discuss benefits until the last thing. Yes. Oh, it's like, it's almost like a, oh, and by the way, you know, yeah. this is your copay for today. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that's a great strategy because when you lead off with quality of care and the, the, the patient knows what they need, you know, and then you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, their copayment and how insurance works at the very end. You know, the decision to accept treatment has been made without insurance, you know. And, right. And that's so key because when you talk about this whole area of supervised neglect, and I can see how this relates to coding fraud, because if you're doing a bloody profi on a patient, well, number one, you know, that's <laughs> supervised neglect is, right. is not appropriate. You know, there's, there's hygienists and dentists have been sued for that. Um, uh-huh. for, forever, you know, for a long, oh, long yeah. time, not, not just they, in dentistry, you know. They absolutely can be sued for that, yep. and and they forget that. Yep. So it's a liability issue. And then on the coding front, if you're doing a deep, well, I, excuse me, not a deep clean. Watch yourself. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, gosh. Let me slap myself on the wrist. Perio <laughs> treatment, yeah. treatment if of you, your disease, yeah. whatever if phrase you, you want to use. If you do scaling and root planning, but you report it as a prophylactic Oh yeah, uh, treatment. You know that's that's fraud. You know that's yeah. uh, that's a misuse of the codes. Uh, but Absolutely. There's so many, yeah, there's so many cases. I mean, every day I hear of a new case where a doctor is being sued by the patient and the malpractice company is settling um, because of supervised neglect issues. You know, mm-hmm. and then when you're audited or you know if there is a a report to the insurance company, um, and then they initiate an audit. Who knows how far they'll go back in finding different areas, uh, you know, where you've under, where you've misused, the, misappropriately used the codes, you know. And right. Yeah. I mean, if it's blatant like that, then, you know, you're going to be writing checks for, 
you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And doctors can't do that. I mean, I don't know anybody that can just write a check for $100,000 or more yeah, and absolutely. be okay with that. One of the other areas I see a lot of supervised neglect in and negligence really is oral cancer screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many great tools, Visalite, Velscope, Oral ID, all kinds of different things that allow us to see changes early and on a cellular level and refer early, you know, oral cancer is so, such a devastating disease. If you even survive it, it's so disfiguring and, and just what a patient really has to go through in order to treat oral cancer is, I mean, there's just no word, devastating doesn't even begin to describe it. it there's just no word strong enough. And I still know doctors that are just opening, looking under the tongue and doing a little visual. You know, oral cancer has a five-year mortality rate can be as high as 50%. By the time you visually can see that lump, bump, mass, lesion, whatnot, it's often too late. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have doctors tell me, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, the Visalite, I don't get paid from insurance by that. Well, if you're billing medical, you do, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, so, you know, in general, but... Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't get paid for that, so I'm not going to do that. Patient doesn't want to pay for that, so I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, we always do an oral cancer screening. Okay, what device are you using? What do you mean what device am I using? Well, you're not doing, <laughs> doing a, a full oral cancer screening, um, you know, to really, really screen and refer early. Right. So uh, another thing I see, I, ha- I have had doctors tell me, well, I don't want to be responsible for telling someone they have cancer and be wrong. I said, great, because you're not licensed to do that. So you shouldn't be doing that. Right. What you're licensed to do is to screen and refer. Mm-hmm. Do you not screen and refer to the periodontist? Do you not screen and refer to the endodontist? Mm-hmm. You know, we're screening, we're seeing something that is out of our scope, but we're concerned about it. We're referring to the oral surgeon. Let the oral surgeon take it from there and make that determination or their primary care physician pick up the phone and talk to their primary care physician and tell them what you're concerned about and get them in, follow up on that. You know, the same way with, with, um, I don't want to scare them. Well, we should scare our patients if it comes to oral cancer. (laughs) You know, I want to be scared when sugarcoating that for me. Right. Right. You know, same way with profies. I don't want to tell somebody they're bleeding, that bleeding might scare them. Well, they should be scared. It's not normal to bleed. If your elbow was spontaneously bleeding, you'd want to know that was a problem. You'd want to know why and fix that. Yeah, I think it's a service to, to people. You know, they, it is. You may think they don't want to know, but in the end, people do want to know. You know. They want to know what risks they have. I think the majority of the people want to know if there's a risk of cancer. Of course, getting, getting it done, er, addressing it early is so key and critical. I mean, I've lost a few family members and Mm -hmm. uh, to cancers and, uh, and even my mother, um, it was caught late, you know, she had breast cancer and, uh, you know, this is back in the day and age where they didn't really have the protocols that they have today and the screening and all the advanced measures for breast cancer these today, as they did, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Right. But, but my mom, by the time they detected it, she was terminal. You know, yeah. put on yeah, hospice. That's so sad. Yeah, and and just and all that is so preventable. So mm-hmm. I think 
you know, as, as we advance in, in medicine, this is the beauty about medicine is that as we, as time goes on and advances, we see major improvements in these areas, but what can we do today, you know, in terms of, um, you know, providing an area of service that, yes, there is compensation for the oral cancer screenings and there's way, way, ways to address the insurance component and the payment component for on the patient side, as you, as you know, you know, a lot, but, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think in the end, you know, leading with the quality of care and building a practice without, you know, the insurance or the financial concerns in mind, um, when, when, when dentists and any business owner does do those things and they create those principles behind how they're going to deliver that quality of care, the money follows, you know, it always yeah, seems absolutely. To, you always seem to find ways to make it work and then make it work in, in a way where it works wonderfully from a financial perspective for the practice, you know, but you know, that, so with the, the few minutes that we have left, so I can see now how this risk management, and if we just look at the supervised neglect, I know there's radiation, there's coding and all that, and how that oh, relates yeah. to oral systemic link. You know, on the perio treatment alone, you can go to so many different areas on oral systemic oh. link. Yeah, I mean, I, I could <laughs> talk for days on nothing but the bidirectional link between perio disease and diabetes. So, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a huge topic and it's, I have people tell me, oh, I, you know, I need to be taught about insurance. Can we do a Zoom or something? And it's, I said, yeah, but let's start with, let's start with a PowerPoint first is usually where I start on risk management called how many felonies did you commit today? Because again, that's like my triage and my diagnostics to know what areas you need a deeper dive on. And, you know, they're like, oh, I just want to learn about insurance. That's like telling me, okay, you've got 45 minutes to teach me quantum physics. You know, start somewhere. I need right. to learn about that. But this is what I'm the time I'm going to give you. It's kind of what patients do to us right. and what we do to patients. You know, and I always say to our doctors, are, are you working on a patient? Because I get my car worked on. As, as a patient, I want to be treated for a, a condition that I have. Right. I don't want to be worked on. That's too industrial, too mechanical. Yeah. So even though we're doing these same thing, procedures, Words matter. Education matters. I promise you your treatment plans will get better. Your case acceptance will increase and the money will follow if we just tweak a few different little things that we're doing. Yeah. And I think that these are totally reasonable things to, to, if you feel like this is an area that needs to improve, I really think that the risk management component um, is something that's not only uh, manageable and something that can be improved quickly. But these are really fun areas Easily. of the practice, you know, to work on. And when I say fun is because the risk management components, like when you talk about supervised neglect, for instance, and the concerns with the patient, the current concerns with insurance non-coverage and so forth, what you typically find is that when you improve in the educational component of perio, um, you, you, you tend to have more um, cooperation from the patients, you know, a better understanding of things mm-hmm. so that future complaints, um, you know, they, they, they tend to come down in an area where people then start to trust your expertise, you know. Right. Um, I always say it's better to explain ahead of time than apologize later. Yeah. And, and that's what I often see, or this is why patients are upset because somebody didn't accurately, you know, evaluate their benefits. So, they weren't given the right copay or they, and then they have to come back and there's a big bill. 
Right. You know, patients will be tolerant with treatment, but they won't be tolerant with their money. So that's where you're going to get the bad reviews and things like that. And if everybody would just take a breath, do the route prep correctly and plan your day so it doesn't run you over like a freight train. But it really is, it starts with something as simple as the route prep. But there's a lot to route prep. The morning huddle isn't standing around reading the schedule to each other. There's a lot to route prep. And so everything is connected. Every single thing, you cannot isolate one thing from the other. Everything is connected. And, um, you know, having written policies and procedures and and protocols and, and having a good plan in place is not the overwhelming task that most practices say it is. Often I'm told, well, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time. I'm short-staffed. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But then I ask the doctors, all right, how much time would you allow your office to be closed to go to court? Right. What's an acceptable amount of money for you to lose, doctor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so we have to kind of just turn it around and have them think that, okay, I have to make a sacrifice maybe of a day or a few hours here or I have to have this expenditure here for training or for assessment to figure out I'm on the right track. And that's going to save me thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars later. And once your reputation is tarnished, you can make back the money and the revenue, but you can't get your reputation back. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Now, this is, this is wonderful. You know, a little bit of, per- well, <laughs> we, we call it a little bit, but I think, I think a lot of preparation is important you know, in, in terms of making sure that uh, the business is protected, that you have a policy mm-hmm. and process that's working in an effort to make sure that there's great quality of care given to the patient without, you know, running the risk of not getting paid, you know. Uh, and, and so all these different components that you're talking about that are related with risk management, uh, oral systemic link has been, just been wonderful. And I wish we had, Thank you. I wish we had hours to talk about this because we have not touched on other areas <laughs> that I thought were interesting. Right. Well, we haven't even touched on this area yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this has just been kind of scratching the surface. Maybe we'll have you for another episode. I love it. uh, Yeah, so so, um, I I know that there's a lot to consider when we talk about these things with risk management and oral systemic link. Um, But if, if any of the listeners want to reach out to you before we do our next episode, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so... um. Probably email or phone is best. Um, it's Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, at Teresa Shepard, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D, dot com. Uh, my phone number is 209-222-0750. I am, uh, also have a landing page for my snapshots, prevent mugshots. I do encourage people to go and take a look at that web page because that is really the place to start. You would never just start prepping a bridge on the first time you ever met a patient without triage and diagnostics. So please take a look at that. It's so important. And that is www.snapshotspreventmugshots.com. Perfect. And if you let me know that you heard us here on Boom Cloud, um, I'll make it worth your while. And um, that's kind of the place to start with a conversation. Yeah, I agree, I agree. There's so many things that I learned and so many things that I know that a lot of the dentists will be interested in. 
Um, so this information is going to be posted in the show notes. Uh, so if you're driving or otherwise occupied in another area and can't write, uh, please refer to the show notes for Teresa's contact information and for the website link that she also mentioned. Uh, Teresa, this has been such a treat. We, we definitely want to get you rescheduled for another episode to kind of expand more on what you talked about today. But we just want to, you know, on behalf of the, the team here at uh, the podcast, we want to say thank you for, for spending time with us and on behalf of our listeners as well. Thank you um, so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's yeah. been great. It's been truly our pleasure. And then for the rest of you that are out there, uh, if it's summertime or wintertime, wherever, wherever you may be, <laughs> what time of the year you may be listening to this, uh, we wish you all very well. Um, you know, the world is getting better. Um, there are improvements all across, you know, from a business perspective, from a lifestyle perspective, and we hope you're all experiencing that as well. And again, you know, we know that uh, uh, pandemics can be a stressful time for people. So if anybody needs to chat, Jordan and I would, you know, make time to chat. You know, it doesn't have to be about business. And oftentimes we do get calls where just people just need to chat. You know, they don't have anybody to chat with. You know, if we can do anything in that area to serve you, uh, just to be a buddy, you know, we're definitely open to that. Folks, have a great day. And Teresa, thank you again for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, until we meet again, have a great day, everybody. 